0: quartering is in my opinion uh he's far more right-wing than he either admits or realizes and he's just this i don't know if you're familiar with the term chud but that's sort of like a yeah uh term for just a right-wing doofus um and uh like that guy is someone who just anytime he usually talks about pop culture stuff Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. anytime that say that like I don't know, Marvel recasts uh, a a superhero that is white in the comics, but now he's black. Or maybe they made him gay. He just, he he has a conniption over shit like this. And these are people, you know, people like him have a surprisingly huge following. I think he has close to a million subscribers. And that's, that's a lot, you know, like people like John Boyega who you know? He's he, uh, he's the actor from yep, Star Wars, uh, other things, the Star Wars movies. Um, cool guy, but like 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 John Boyega tweeted at him somewhat recently because uh, he thought that that the, the 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 quartering was making fun of him, and he so he said something salty to him. Um, which was totally warranted. And my point is, is that these people are on the radar of more people than a lot of people realize. So uh, I think that they have kind of really toxic points of view. And I like kind of both making them look like, mocking them, making them look like idiots. I think that mockery and just comedy in general is one of the most useful tools in terms of getting people to analyze like, oh, like people who, who might be fans of these people to kind of consider, oh, this, you know, this, maybe this person is kind of a doofus and I, I need to re-examine why I exactly, I like this person, um, or if I should like this person at all. So yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I, uh, I, I try to mix both people who I think have, some sort of um influence within the 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 world of politics or just just social discourse and then i also keep in mind okay what is the most entertaining thing that i can do right now that's somewhat topical that 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 people would be interested in because above all as much as i really value kind of injecting politics and um a good social message good social messaging within my videos my primary goal above everything is just to entertain people
1: okay awesome
0: yeah that's um i'll piggyback
1: off of that in a second to what i actually want to say here but for anyone that's listening and you may or may not have heard of this guy named Ben Shapiro. He has the most engaged Facebook uh, news and politics page out of all news and politics pages on Facebook. Oh, that's, that, sh- that should be terrifying. Yeah, it, it truly is. And e- if, you, if you're listening to this and you've never heard of Ben Shapiro, I envy you. But for, for a lot of you, this is who we're going to be. Him and his followers are going to be the people we're going to be battling for the rest of my life. Um, and they're going to be following in the footsteps of people like him, like Jordan Peterson, the IDW crowd. And yeah, this that's a whole another rabbit hole. But yeah. while we're on the topic of the quartering, because I knew I wanted to talk about this, because okay. you and I have exchanged tweets um, in the past a little bit about uh, the Mighty Thor comics and I have yes. this right here because awesome. I yes. just got this the other day and I wanted to as we we're talking about the quartering because that's the the video is uh, you talking about that I found on your channel was talking about that and him complaining about uh, Thor being female and her having a relationship with uh, Captain America who wasn't you know Steve Rogers, Captain. You know the deep rabbit hole. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think it's funny because these people get so upset, and th- so that's 2014 Thor, and yet this is the first Thor where Jane Foster appears as Thor. This is from
0: 1973. So yes, yes, that that's a what if uh, issue. Um, yeah, not only is there precedence of it through what if, which is, I mean, you can make the argument that like, well, what if is, is a, is a comic where they're kind of it's it's an alternate dimension, but there's other you know, there's other things. I mean first of all It just sh- shouldn't fucking matter more than anything even, even if there wasn't even if there wasn't a past precedence, but the very first issue of of, of Thor uh, You know Thor because their big argument is that Thor shouldn't be a woman because Thor Thor is is a man and it doesn't make sense that that because what what happens is that uh, i don't know if i'm getting in the weeds here explaining too much I look thor is my favorite so you can go ahead oh yeah well well thor kind of um reaches this point in uh, this 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 lowly point in his uh journey within comics where he is just a broken I was going to say man but a broken immortal and it, as a result of going through all these kind of tragedies and 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 also uh confronting things that both he and his family did that were arguably just just awful he no longer has the will or um the the power within himself to wield the Uh maybe I'm mispronouncing that uh, hammer, which is you know his, his his freaking hammer and um it's it's like only those who are worthy are able to wield it and 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 if they are they they become thor the very first issue of thor uh he actually was a just a, a regular human who found the the arrow and they later retconned that maybe like two years later and it was very ham fisted and they 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 made him uh they, they did this thing where odin said something to the effect of you know you you have been thor all along and all of this was a test but it was a really just they they just decided okay we need to find like it's better if he's just thor and we don't do this like sort of like peter parker spider-man thing where he has these dual identities and so the the point of, of mentioning all of that i hope that your audience isn't getting bored by all this dorky comic book talk but the point of that is that their original premise which is that like you know uh like it doesn't even make sense that she, that that she would become Thor when possessing the hammer I mean that's that's just how it was in the very first comic you know and but, but more but I think the the bigger point in all of this is that it just shouldn't fucking matter, you know it, it, first of all, they act as if she is replacing Thor, which she's not Thor is still a character he goes by the name of Odinson um once she becomes the mighty thor, and um it just shouldn't be a big fucking deal, they have this uh, you know it's. It's really hysterical to me because I always bring up this point, which is that, you know, they will, and when I say they, I'm, there's a large, aside from uh, people like the quartering, there are a lot of, in my opinion, pretty reactionary, like comic books slash video game dorks. I don't think these people even read these comics to tell you the truth. Uh, I, a lot of them say they do, but they they seem to know nothing about them. And my point is, is that uh, there's a lot of these people who will get bent out of shape about these things, but they only get bent out of shape about them pretty much when it is like a white heterosexual male that is being toyed with, you know? And it's it's sort of like the, the, the Joker movie came out last year and I, I think I think it's a fantastic movie. I, I think it's great, but the thing is, is that they 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 always say these things like, "Oh, create your own characters if you want to do this," and and you know it's not canon. It's not part of the co- well, the Joker movie. I mean, it it has a very small basis in in like uh, the Killing Joke series uh which came out in the 80s but it's just like a a faint seed of of that you know i mean for the most part the joker movie completely rearranged uh, batman canon and it created something that was fucking awesome you know it's it's a good movie i happen to love it some people aren't crazy about it but the point is is that they're not going to complain about that you know, they they're they're not going to to say like, oh, that isn't canon, and it's just because they don't like to see their, uh, you know, like they have this weird thing about white heterosexual males, and uh, just I, I don't know. I think they 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 feel threatened, and they don't like seeing um, just an increase of diversity. All, all the time. I mean, some of them will, it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, but uh, that's my take on it. Honestly, yeah. I, I think it is at it, at its heart, kind of uh, a little rooted from bigotry. But
1: uh, Hey, well, it, yeah. I'm happy that you, uh, that you got me, uh, gave me the opportunity to discuss Thor on my show because I have a pile. I have probably 400 Thor issues over there. A bunch of statues Ooh. of Thor over there. I got Beta Ray Bill right here. Um, nice. But, but you know what the, the it's, it's just, I find it so funny because you're right. Uh, they don't read it because when I started reading comics, the first comic I read was the Mighty Thor 2014 Jane Foster mm-hmm. as Thor. And I was like, this is amazing. And if you don't yeah. under, like if you don't like the story, then that's okay, but don't blame it just because it's a female thor don't blame it because Captain America is black now don't blame it because there's a female jedi or that, you know it's
0: that's Yeah, where that's, it, that's the thing they they act as though i mean really they they have this term and this is the video that you saw that you're talking about it was uh there's this concept that they have that they call force diversity where um you know and and I'm not saying that sometimes there aren't either entertainment companies or uh, advertisers or whatnot that kind of like handpick different, you know, it's purely a marketing thing for them um i don't think that that writers of these comic books because i think that they're more kind of i think they have more integrity than that and i think that they genuinely like like uh, for to me like making especially like when you're talking about things like superhero movies or comic books or whatever this is this is like a fantastical realm that you're talking about and so having diversity kind of it just adds to the richness. It just adds to kind of like a feeling of kind of having more, um, and I'm not not saying that non-white people are, you know, exotic necessarily, but it gives more depth, it gives more variety and just helps create a, a feeling that you're in this like vast universe, I think, better than if you just had like all white dudes, all straight white dudes, you know? And um, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's something like like in general, I like to push against uh, xenophobia and homophobia and transphobia and you know all, all all those things, of course. And it's just so rife in right wing um, pop culture commentary. And you you won't just find it like, like sometimes you'll find people like you mentioned Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro will. Kind of sometimes, like I believe he did. He had a whole ridiculous, um, like diatribe about why uh, the like James Bond should not be female. Oh. Or maybe be because yep. that's what should, it was. It should not be black, um, which was also included in that video, and it's just. It's, it's just ridiculous. There's no like real, he tries to justify it by saying that like, well, you know, James Bond is, is, is known classically as a ladies man and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a male fantasy But but things change. You know, you get different interpretations and that's really, it, to me more than anything, it's it, like, it's such a, the, the world that they want in terms of entertainment is such a boring one because it's like you you would get no experimentation if you if if you did that, and then these same people will also go on and sometimes they're right about this uh they'll they'll go off on how uncreative a lot of these these uh movies happen to be, and I, yet if we kind of followed their like kind of by the by the if we adhered to their rules, just the entertainment would be all that much more bland and and boring in in my opinion so
1: what kind of uh aspects set you apart from the field what kind of uh things other than we've talked about some of it already but if there's anything that like really you think sets you apart um from i mean this is not a a race just with democrats either this is going to be a race with democrats republicans technically independents can run um i don't know if there are any but uh and well we'll we'll get we'll get into something some of that after but what what sets you apart
2: so, I think what sets me apart, Connor, is um, number one, why I'm running. I think the, the reason that I'm running. And the reason that I'm running is really because I know this kind of sounds corny, but it's really a calling. Like, I really feel like I have a calling to do something different in my career that's more impactful than I can do as an attorney helping clients individually. So, you know, I break it down as I was trained You know, we get education and experience. So I'm trained as a lawyer. I've been practicing law for over 20 years. So I've got the experience of doing the work and my focus is on family law. And that's the other aspect that sets me apart from some of the other people that will may and will be running against me. Some of the other candidates don't have. You can never say anyone has no experience because you go to law school and you might take a family law course, or you might have handled a case. But this is the practice that I've committed myself to since I was a clerk. Um, You know, when I, my son's 22 and he was born when I did my clerkship. So it's been a while. And the reason that I'm dedicated to that practice is because I think that the most vulnerable are children. Um, and families, you know, we're talking about fractured families, and families is the fundamental basis of our society. So that's the other aspect. I, it's my calling, it's my focus and my area of law. And it's also about my compassion, like being able to understand and empathize with each and every person that comes before you. And we were, I refer to that. As compassionate justice. Um, So why why is that so important? Um, It's so important because if you don't understand that some part of your life experience is similar to the people that stand before you, then you can't really empathize with them. I think that happens in the court a lot because, you know, courts are made up of judges and judges are former lawyers and former lawyers are generally, very generally, usually, you know, highly educated white males who have privilege. Um, So you may not understand the woman standing before you. I actually, when I got up this morning, super early for this, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I pulled up an article on my phone and it was about this woman that had been arrested because she worked, um, I think it was at either Popeye's or someplace, she worked in a fast food restaurant and she was arrested for leaving her 10-year-old and her two-year-old in her hotel where she lived Um, and um, some high profile athletes and others came out to support her and pay her legal fees because, you know, again, just a snippet of the article, she had been having someone check in on them every two hours, but she had to work. So, you know, so what do you do? Do you not work and not feed your child? Or do you go to work and have someone, you know, check in on it? None of it's the right answer, right? Yeah, the right answer is she needs to the right answer is understanding the socioeconomic injustice and doing something about that.
1: Yeah, so
2: that's what <laughs> yeah, sets you're gonna,
1: me. Hard. You're going to set me off on a rant there, so. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> which is something like I talked about last week also, or it was either last week or the week before, um, talking about um, people foregoing food. To pay their rent people foregoing insulin to pay their rent people for you know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. and you know per, i mean personally again this is my opinion not yours necessarily is you know i think there should be universal pre-k i think there should be universal college i think there should be uh universal trade schools all these things that give people opportunities that otherwise they wouldn't have it because there's a cost barrier um and you know obviously as a judge you don't have a say on those things but well not necessarily have a say on those things at least so but that's like as what I do, and pushing for you know you you can see the push and the pull with different candidates and different positions, and and how it all builds up to how this 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 woman has to leave her kids. It's all I mean I talk about it all the time. It's all a choice, and it's what we want to do about it as a society. Um, so yeah, you're gonna you're going to set me off if we <laughs> talking that about that that wasn't my intention <laughs> no no it's okay it's it's important it's important yeah. to know these the anecdotes and to to know the lived experience of somebody that doesn't live necessarily i mean this could happen in bucks county it's not as likely because bucks county is a much more socioeconomically adv- uh advantaged area I mean I'm trying to put it nicely, you know, yeah. people in Bucks County necessarily don't have to struggle the same way that people elsewhere do. Um, mostly. I mean that's a very broad generalization.
2: Of course. Um, yeah, but but to to that point though, you know, I some do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, so so working with the United Way has also been just this really incredible eye-opening experience for me. So I was, I was asked to be on the board of the the United way, you know, earlier in the year. And I I said, absolutely. You know, this is a phenomenal opportunity to, you know, to focus on service. Cause really so many of my clients it's divorce cases are high end divorce cases in Bucks County. So we're not really talking about you know, community service. So this gave me a chance to get back into community service and when I when I say it was eye opening, like it's phenomenal to me. One of the first projects we started working on was um, a tax issue, and it, and it's the so the facts of it are: if you live in a trailer park, uh, you know, and so your your home is really technically a, ve- a vehicle, so it depreciates, but that trailer is treated from a real estate tax perspective the same way as a home. So although your house is depreciating because it's a mobile home and your, you know, single family home isn't, you're paying the same tax. So as a, it's not a judge issue, it's not a, it's not a judicial issue, but it's a legal issue. And obviously that's something that, you know, would come before the court. Why don't we treat those differently? So that's, you know, that's just a social, another way to pinpoint the socioeconomic differences that do exist right here in Bucks County. There is food shortage in Bucks County. There is, you know, again, now you're going to get me going off. <laughs> well, you can go ahead.
1: That's, that's why <laughs> yeah. I have you here.
2: Yeah, I mean, there people have to realize that these aren't, you know, Philly issues or city issues. They're people issues, and each and every one of us could do just anything, something differently, if you are able, you know, donate to the United Way. If it is a financial thing that you can do, do that. Because that does 100% trickle down to giving that organization the ability to set up a food bank. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast and literally I, I almost started crying about how food banks in Brooklyn and, you know, in certain bor- boroughs of New York, are they're out of food by noon. And people are getting online to get fresh vegetables and food at four o'clock in the morning and standing there with their kids. I mean, it's heart-wrenching. So back to the why, back to the why we need diversity on the bench, because we need to be talking about these things from the bottom up and also from the top down. So, you know, so we don't just resolve it by making global structure proposals, for change. We actually have to have boots on the ground at people doing that change. But that literally has to come from both sides. And that's why being on the bench is just another forum to talk about justice issues. It's really, we're justices. Shouldn't we be doing justice?
1: Ideally. Ideally, yes. <laughs> and, you know, we see the court cases do they do allow or restrict freedom. They do allow or restrict liberty and just the prosperity of people based on decisions. I mean, I know, I know in 2019, a lot of the talk was about uh, in in the court of common pleas was about the family law. And that's, that's a major, major part of what you do. And family law making these decisions about families, they're life-changing. They are, they're what sets, I mean, your early adolescence or, I mean, just basically from when you're born till you're 18, you are formed as a human. And if your life is changed by a decision, by a court, I would much rather have that court be something that is more compassionate and empathetic and understands the struggles of, you know, kids and families that necessarily don't have everything so easily. Um, but yeah we'll roll into now cause we, we hinted on like this buck, like this distinction of Bucks County. And other than I, I you know, I, I viewed things as, as someone, I'm only 25. So I viewed things as a, as a young person in Bucks County. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues about the aging population in Bucks County um, because It's too, it's too expensive for young people to live. I was working four jobs before the pandemic and I still couldn't afford to move out. Um, I mean, now I have a better job, but (laughs) like not everyone, not everyone has that luck of just being like, yep, we got it. So I know millennials and people younger than me zoomers, they're not just getting handed, um, living spaces, not just getting handed these jobs that we were promised from going to college, but that's my perspective as somebody in Bucks County. What what are some other issues that you see um, while you're running for county-wide position, especially in Bucks County? I mean, whether that just be the the dynamics of you know Lower Bucks and Central Bucks and Upper Bucks, the differences there, and how you know I mean they, they are very different places. Um, but yeah, I mean, any anything on that?
2: Absolutely. So. As I mentioned, you know you're 25. My son's 22. My other son's 19. And um, there, there are definitely um, reasons why people move to Bucks County, and it's the schools, and it's because it's an absolutely beautiful place to live, and you're you know centrally located between DC and New York. I mean, and there, there are just and, and Philly is right here. There are so many great things about Bucks County. And that's one of the reasons I moved here. Um, but, you know, so the, I see less of an issue in the elementary schools, okay? But then in the middle schools, there isn't a lot for kids to do. So if you don't, if you're not an athlete, you know, and if you're not, you know, talented in some way where your, your parents can focus you, um, there isn't just a ton. So I think one of the factors that comes from middle school leading into high school is boredom. And, you know, from a community perspective, I live in Lower Make. there's no community center. So you see kids riding around on bikes, you know, it's great in the summer, um, but there's no community center in Yardley. I don't think there's one in Newtown. I don't think there's one in Quaker town. So it's not something I could do as a judge, but really just as a community, if we started to think more about forming community centers and things that kids could do from from that perspective in terms of service, civics, um, martial arts, things that are healthy and broad-based and, 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 and giving them the ability to broaden their scope, I think we'd see a lot less marijuana use. I think kids get super bored and then they start to experiment. And... I think, you know, frankly, why do we have such a growth in the use of marijuana and and opioids? It's because some of it, a lot of it obviously is mental health and addiction, but some of it, and I'm not saying, I'm not going to speak to whether or not marijuana is, um, you know, leads to other drug use. I'm just talking about what I've observed in the courts um, with my clients. And in my communities, we just see a lot, you know, a huge increase of, of activity that's inappropriate because we didn't at 13 and 14 and 15, like you're saying, give our kids anything to do. You know, you obviously have a different mindset. You, where you are now at 25 in, your, in being an activist is stemming from something that's innate in you, but you also motivate other kids and because they see you and they want it they want Maybe. to do this. I I hope so. Um so we we need more of like a youth for unity. So I'm speaking on Saturday the 20th with this phenomenal group youth for unity. These young people are amazing activists. They're they're protesting, they're doing peaceful protests, they're raising awareness about things um you know across our state we don't do enough of that. We don't promote that type of activism. And I'm like, listen, you can be ultra conservative and, or you can be ultra progressive, whatever it is that you're doing. If there's a healthy mindset in why you're doing it, then I'm willing to listen. You know, I'm willing to go listen to a peaceful protest. I I, I did actually, it was amazing. Um, I so support those kids in what they're trying to, what they're trying to do. So that's one thing, one aspect of what needs to be changed. The other is understanding that that those issues of homelessness, food shortage, um, you know, just literally homelessness. Let's talk about homelessness for a minute. Homelessness means that you don't really have a bed to sleep in. So there's a lot of homelessness all over this county. There are kids sleeping with their friends not sleeping, over, having to live with their friends. Um, There are people who, as a result of divorce or separation, are having to stay with other people. They don't have homes. People otherwise would be sleeping in their cars. We don't raise enough awareness about this. And it is because of the socioeconomics of it. You can't get an apartment for less than $2,000 in Bucks County, regardless of where you are. So people are really unable to maximize how they're able to live. We just have to be aware of these issues. And I think a lot of that gets swept under the rug because we're like, "Eh, you know, it's a great place to live. It is a great place to live. But for someone who, like you, like my son, who has college debt and lots and lots of it, student loans, you know, pandemic, no job lined up, and there's not a lot of opportunity here. It can impact you know, us on a global level. It impacts us not only from a socioeconomic perspective, but from an emotional and psychological perspective. There's a lot of stress, a lot of stress. And again, I think that ties back to kind of this vicious cycle of pandemic, stress, um, self-medication, sometimes drug use, and then you know, leading us right back into. This uptick in abuse, so our PFA, which is Protection from Abuse Courts, are overcrowded, overloaded, and we're not able to give the attention to it that we need. The criminal courts are absolutely being impacted, and we're seeing more people being held in the correctional facility um, with drug issues and mental health issues. And you know my stance on cash bail. Um, we shouldn't have it. It's, it's, not, it's not helping us. It's not helping the county. It's not making anyone safer. It's forcing people to be held in the correctional facility today in this blizzard um, who may have violated probation because they broke into a car or they stole some metal off of a house and they didn't have $500. So now they're potentially exposed to COVID in the prison. Those aren't the answers. There are other answers. And, and i got to tell you, Connor, I don't have all the answers. You know, I don't think anyone, No, any, if anyone's running, maybe one of the candidates will tell you that he or she has all the answers to everything. Um, they don't. <laughs> so that's why it does take the response a responsible person to go back and, you know, brainstorm and pow out with the other judges, pow out with the DA, and pow out with people like you, with our constituents. To say, look, let's look at the problems in our county and how can we help them? And then again, that bottom up, top down approach to resolving these issues in Bucks County.
1: With it being Black History Month last month, I, I, I spent a lot of time, or at least one, I only released episodes once a week, but I spent a good portion of time talking about Malcolm X, Martin hmm. Luther King, and uh, Fred Hampton as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who is usually overlooked, I feel like, in generally speaking, in, in leaders. Um, but I don't know if you feel a, uh, a personal, you know, connection with Fred Hampton. I know yeah. I'm, o- I'm only 25. So the fact that he was murdered at the age of 21, 21.
3: Yeah. It yeah. Really no, that blows me, me. that blows me away. What I, what I love about Fred Hampton's, um, is the clarity that that brother had at such an early age. Um, most of us are still trying to get in our thirties and our forties. Um, and you're right, he is. But I, I'm grateful because, it, you know, he's not so overlooked anymore. Um, and it's almost like, you know, each generation, we have to make sure that we don't allow um, the, the narrative that is forwarded by the, the mainstream institutions and the establishment to exclude our heroes, right? The people's heroes. And, and Fred is definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean... I think you can see me, so it's. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm a young white dude from uh, the suburbs. So to me, I I was never taught about you know some of these more radical leaders, and mm-hmm. over time I've just grown grown so much uh, affinity for them,
3: and, and yeah. it's just. I don't know. It's uh, well because they they I mean they speak with a clarity, or rather they spoke with a clarity um, that. You just don't get anymore. Like, you, you don't get that clear eyed view of what's really wrong in the world. Uh, focus on the greed, focus on capitalism, focus on imperialism, focus on the, the stuff that we're told is good, right? We're told that greed is good. We're told that capitalism is good. We're told that imperialism is, oh, we're just spreading democracy abroad. And then to take a look back and see that there are people, you know, generations before us, like Fred, Fred's case, you know, just decades, just a few decades before us who understood that at a nuanced level. Um, of, and, and then you realize that's exactly why they don't want us to know about. Him.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a danger to the status quo as always. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different ways we can go from here, but I, I guess, uh, you've been in this, in this game for, for a long, a, a longer time than I have. Um, what are some of the major lessons, uh, that you've learned? And I know that I saw you talking about it, I think on Twitter either yesterday or the day before about, uh, the engagement lately. And it's like, it's overwhelming to be, to to try to stay engaged during a time like this with the disinformation and the misinformation coming from mainstream media. I mean, the, the Republicans and even some of the Democrats. Um, so what are some of the major lessons that you've learned that you would you would instill in the next, uh, you know, in zoomers and you know, I'm the end of millennials. I, I, uh, I was okay. born in 96. So, okay.
3: <laughs> I, I'm the beginning. I'm the very oldest millennial out there. Like i am 1980s. Like I'm the, I'm on the cusp of being both a G, uh, gen Xer and millennial. So I'm, I'm definitely an elder, <laughs> but, <laughs> but to answer your question, um, Every single side has disingenuous and bad faith actors who will deny the truth in order to protect their power and in order to gain power. Don't for a second think that our side has only good faith actors and their side has only bad faith actors. Now, this is the second lesson. Don't draw false equivalents and have this kind of both sidesism that the centrists try to live in. Because even in their centrist, both sides ism, they're actually a part of the right wing establishment. I'm not saying that our side is just as bad as them, but I'm telling you, you're going to run into bad faith actors a- amongst people that you feel like you have a common cause with. And you just got to be willing and able to uh, circumnavigate those waters because they're not going anywhere. They're here. They're out there. They're just as big and just as vocal. And some of them are not as big. Some of them are not as but they're there. And and you just have to really have a sober eye and focus on what you're fighting for, um, more so than your own personal ambition.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer. Um, it it does pivot well into how do we how do we identify those with uh, malicious intent. Um, those with, uh, they, they, they might wrap themselves in the political progressivism that we might like, but you know, the, they're, they're out there for money. They're out there for any number of reasons. How do we identify those people? And, and, you know, I guess it's, it might be easier for someone like you or for someone like me that. We do this all the time. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I if I told you this before coming on. I'm the chairman of the Democratic Party in my town, so oh, wow. I've seen people that come to me for they want something. That's it. Right. They just want right. something. Or, right. but so I guess. Um, whether it be online spaces or organizing and I, I believe you still live in Georgia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you've probably seen that in the last year, especially with the focus. Oh, on Georgia. No, no,
3: it's, it's, un, it's, un, it's unbelievable. Listen, the thing is, is that it's funny. You, you, you catch me on a day where I'm not exactly particularly optimistic, <laughs> even though I try to be, but the truth is brother, it is the biggest hurdle that we have to progress isn't just our outright ideological enemies, it is the ambition and the ego of our friends and our comrades and ourselves, right? Because as much as we try to keep an eagle eye and see the bad actors in our circles, we also gotta be aware of the bad actor inside of each and every one of us. That ambition, that ego, that that green-eyed jealousy that sneaks up in every human being and I think the first and foremost thing that we got to do is realize that we have the capacity to be that way ourselves, too, if we're not careful. It may not be on the same topic. You know, my, my, what triggers my envy might not be what triggers your envy. But if we're not capable of seeing it in our own selves first, then and, and this is honestly like not just as a content creator, but as a person that's in the audience listening, if, if we can't take in consideration how we might be wrong then we're certainly going to become a part of the problem that we're ultimately trying to fix. And so we self-sabotage ourselves by not being able to look in the mirror first. And I think if we can soberly look in the mirror and see where we make mistakes, where we are wrong, where our ideology or our ambition sometimes trumps our ideology, if we can't see that for ourselves, then we certainly can't see it in someone who's like a demagogue or somebody who is, a, especially if they're saying things that we like, right? The most insidious trap. To get around is a trap set by somebody who's saying exactly what you want to hear. Uh, but I think the way that we identify them is by first identifying it in ourselves, um, and then then we can walk soberly and really understand what's going on around us.
1: Yeah, I think that self reflection is lost upon a lot of people. Uh, it's uh, it's a hard. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. It, it is hard yeah. to to look back and say like, oh, I was wrong on this. I mean, I've done it. I, I mean. I specifically focus a lot on the online media space because I I've told this story. I mean, I was on the verge between, I could have gone two different ways mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders campaign came at the right time. I found the right people at the right time to mm-hmm. guide me. Cause I, again, I came from a place of privilege and being a young white dude being, if you're told that, and you've never reflected on it. You never said, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, I never had to worry about a house. I never had to worry about uh, food. I never had mm-hmm. to worry about all these things." It's hard to it's hard to sit with that and be like, "Well, people do actually struggle to make a living, oh, yeah. to do all this stuff, and we definitely need to work on that." I mean, everybody needs to do that, and we constantly need to be doing that. Yeah. Um, with that. Uh, the online the online space is crowded with the people that I, I'm, I'm I guess I, I'm willing to announce it today. And on some in some fashion, I, I've been working on a book um, myself and I, I kind of quoted you in it. And it's oh, not oh, a direct cool. quote, but I took your, your your phrasing of the dumb, dumb
3: left <laughs> and, and actually got in, in fairness. I, I, I got that from Michael Brooks. All right. Our our friend. Well, yeah.
1: To you and Michael, I mean, rest in power to Michael. Uh, I never got to speak with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I have on when I called into the show, but I never, right. you know, never on this side. So, uh, but the power to you guys then, but the, that, I know that that, that influences people because when I ran for office in 2019, I knocked on someone's door. I said, I'm running for township supervisor. And she was asking me all these things. It's one, and it's anecdotal. Mm-hmm. But she said oh like oh you're you say you're a progressive who do you listen to uh online and you know i listed a number of people she goes oh so you're a centrist i'm like Ugh. i'm like uh-oh <laughs> um yeah like you don't yeah. like jimmy Dore, or uh and i and i, I don't even like thro- throwing kyle Kalinsky with jimmy Dore. but she she was like you don't like them you must be a centrist i was like um I'm I got I got attacked as being a communist in this race, so I don't know exactly that I'm a centrist.
3: <laughs> That's the brilliant thing about it, and when I say brilliant, I mean absolutely asinine, right? Because uh, you know I got an FBI file, man. <laughs> you know I'm I'm um, I, dude. I am so far gone into my ideological beliefs about what's broken in this system that I was damn near ready to get killed for this shit, man. Excuse my language, but, and it's funny. It's funny. Like the only thing that that kept me from being the person to march up the steps of the Capitol, uh, six months before those white supremacists did it, I had purchased a flag, a blowtorch, and a gas mask. And I was going to march up the flag uh, the steps, burning the flag because it was time to set it off. (laughs) And then, but I'm the centrist, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like, and the only reason I didn't do it is because I got kids and my wife was like, sit your ass at home, man, and raise the kids. And I'm like, you know what, babe, you're right. So shout out to my wife and my kids for keeping me out of jail or dead. But, you know, it's that it's the absurdity of it all, man. These folks really are putting there's a community that's growing around the um, the dumb, dumb left, for lack of a better phrase. I, I mean, we might as well keep using it because Michael gave it to us. But they find more in cause and more in common, rather, with right wing, I mean, people who support it and help create the military industrial complex and have have been driven by the profits of billionaires being poured into this space specifically to undermine the left. And yet we're the ones that are being called centrist. So, you know, there's really honestly, I don't know if there's anything that we can do with that because It is part and parcel of the human dilemma. People like to hear what they want to hear. And if they're not listening to it with a critical ear, but they're listening to it with their anger only, or they're listening to it from a fanatic position, then, you know, they become a cult of personality. And and so anyone who does not fall neatly into their precise definition of progressive then becomes the enemy. And we're at the point where even Ilhan Omar, you know, who is too far progressive for the regular Democratic Party, right? Now she's being considered as a conservative, not even as a centrist, but as a conservative by that very group that you're talking about. Um, is there anything that can be done about it? We just got to keep working. We, we, gotta, we actually just have to keep putting our, our hands to the plow and tilling the land and doing our job that we've been doing so far and made the best, ideali- uh, the best group win. Yeah,
1: I think there's there's something to be said about that, and that's it's the tough part about the 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 landscape we're in. It's because misinformation gets out Ugh. there just as much as It's the not record.
3: more. Yeah,
1: because yeah, it's it's sensationalized.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: So they uh, they can utilize it, and I mean, it's the horseshoe theory in action. I mean, I, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't so sure how much I really believed in it until I met. I did meet people that self proclaim themselves to be on the left. And yet they didn't, I mean, the same, the same woman, I know it's, it's, it's one person, but I lost by 38 votes. I don't know that she voted and it's, that is LGBTQ protections that you didn't get passed. That is environmental protections that you didn't get passed. That is pensions protected for people that were working and retirements. And it's selfish because I didn't say I like your whatever some Caster. stupid <laughs> i mean if someone didn't like me I, I i'd still be able to vote for them like <laughs> right right
3: like because listen like i mean on any given day i mean i mean at this stage i have detached myself from i feel like this you're getting more honesty from me than i even bother to give a line anymore because it's like uh, what's 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 the rating of your show? By the way, are we 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 YouTube only, and we cuss? <laughs> you can do whatever. Yeah, you can say whatever you like. It's like you know we're at the stage where, you know, fuck all that, man. I don't, we don't have time to engage with that level of stupidity because there's just so much more work to be done. Because if you're in this for the same reason I'm in this, I'm actually in this to win when on behalf of the values that we're fighting for, like you listed LGBTQ rights, right? Uh, egalitarianism, everybody, I mean, and really simple. I just broke it down in this in my Twitter bio and it's very simple. And I, this is all I'm gonna fight for from now on. You know, everyone deserves a house. Everyone has the right, every human, not just American, every human has a right to housing, clothing, food, shelter, education, healthcare, not access to, but actually a doctor and peace. Meaning nobody's dropping bombs from drones on anybody. Like it's the very simple, simple, practical things that we're fighting for. And to get that accomplished, we actually have to get power. What the new left is trying to do, in addition to horseshoe us around to uniting with the right, um, what they're trying to do is or actually what they're getting done is making sure that nobody can get power who has that kind of agenda right? Because if you think about it, if if there's literally nobody who's a progressive other than those people who listen to Jimmy Dore, like you listed, then who's going to actually be able to amass power to get anything done? Nobody.
1: When you say um, we're not going to go fix uh, like these people and that I totally agree with that. And I, I actually, what comes to mind for me and I've said this a number of times before, but it reminds me of Michael Brooks. And I don't know if either of you know who that is, but he was an online podcaster. Um, he's very he was very influential on me starting the show. And he always says, be gentle. Or he said he, he passed away this past mm-hmm. year, but he said, um, be gentle with the individual, but ruthless with the system. Do you? Oh, yeah. Do you believe that rather than going in to be like, yeah, because I completely agree you don't have to change people. You have to change the systems in which they operate. Is that mm-hmm. kind of what you're getting at there?
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, so here, here's a, for instance, like, you know, this is a really, everybody at my job knows because that I've complained about this, so this won't be new. But for instance, in order to become a teacher, uh, in order to be admitted into my program, you have to get a certain score on a Praxis exam. It's called the Praxis Core. Now, this is gatekeeping at its best because I've got students who you know, are brilliant, but they're having a hard time passing this exam. So what my school does is we have a prep classes that we offer for free. Now that is a deficit perspective because that's like, "Mm, there's something wrong with them and we're going to fix it. And we're going to put this program in place to fix it. Recognizing structural problems is going to the higher level and saying, we need to get rid of this test. The test is a problem, not not these students. This test is not measuring what it says it's measuring and it's becoming gatekeeping and often gatekeeping for kids who just for whatever, you know, because where they lived or whatever, they didn't have the same preparation. Um, there's a, a, a story. I think, I think it comes from Nelson Mandela. So forgive me if I get this wrong, but I think it does. So I always have a problem with that, that goldfish there, no, that starfish story. Like if we could save one child. I don't like that. Um, but then I heard this, uh, similar um, story from Nelson Mandela. And he says, there's a lake, there's a river and there's babies floating in the river. And this woman goes over and she sees these babies floating in the river. And she's like, Oh my God. So she goes over and she starts pulling the babies out of the river. And this guy comes over and he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, there are babies in the river. And he said, well, what should we do? And he, she said, help me pull them out. So they both start pulling them out of the river. And then she gets up and she walks away and he's like, where the hell are you going? And she said, I'm going up river to find out who's throwing these babies in the river. Right. So it's like, you know, we need to find out who's throwing the babies in the river and fix that. And I think that's, that's kind of your point. Right.
1: Oh yeah. I've never heard that, but that is uh that is definitely an interesting perspective on what, on way of looking at, A broken system basically. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, that is a interesting metaphor. (laughs) Uh, Lolly, what about you for being an educator? What, what, how has that influenced you? And obviously Tabitha has worked with uh, college age folks. You work with kids that are much, much younger. So Mm. maybe there's a different, there's definitely a different um, perspective there.
5: Well, I have to take a second and just be like, just say that I'm new to the day in day out teaching um, thing. I'm. I feel like at a core, at my core, the thing that I know is I'm an entertainer. I've been doing story times for kids for about 22 years, and have like so much respect for all of the teachers who are are doing this day in and day out. And is it it's Teacher Appreciation Week today, so. Oh my god, teachers! I get it. I get it. It's hard. I only have five kids in my class, and every day I'm still kind of like, okay, what's happening here? Um, that being said, this has been one of my biggest growing years. Um, so in the past, I had the opportunity as an entertainer, as a story—you know—as a someone who did story times who connected with kids on that level. It was kind of this little like golden situation where it's like the parents would come in with their kiddos. I would have this wonderful like one-on-one interaction with them and was able to kind of like open up some like some doors some conversations with them Um, I'll never forget the time that I read um, Julian is a mermaid if you've ever if you haven't read that story you need to go get it right now it'll take you five minutes to read and it's about a little boy um, who's um, uh, in New York City he's um, he's a Hispanic he has an abuela and he just like loves mermaids and um it's around the time of the mermaid parade and he sees people on the subway and he goes home and um has like you know just basically makes a mermaid outfit with like the curtains with like a uh, a fern he's like puts on makeup and everything all while his abuelo is in um the bathtub and then she comes out and it's like this stern look on her face and um, I remember when I read this book for the first time, I had one family who was there who had a little boy who was in a girl's dress, who loves painting his fingernails. Um, And then I had another family who I didn't know how they were going to react to this book. You know, it's like, I don't know. I have people of all political backgrounds, all like, you know, just everything who come to my story times. And I never want to alienate anyone, but I also kind of feel like it's important to validate the person who's not usually getting validated. So anyways, I read the book and everyone loved it. But one of the things that I kept bringing up is like, let's just take this out of like, you know, oh my goodness, this kid is dressing up like a little girl, you know, like a mermaid (laughs) instead of that. Let's look at like, this kid is in trouble because he is making an outfit out of things in the house. Would you get in trouble if that happened? You know, he's putting on makeup, you know, would you get in trouble if you're playing with your parents stuff, you know? And it's like watching the grandmother at the moment, it's like, she looks at him and then she leaves the room and then she comes back with a necklace. And that is working with parents too and reading that story. It's like, sometimes parents need a minute to process it before they come in and react. Sometimes grandparents need that before they come in and react. And I really loved that moment of like, you know, it's like, I mean, I've lost followers. I've lost supporters because they don't like the fact that I'm bringing this stuff up. I get that. I don't agree with it, but it's like, it's fine. It's like everyone gets to make their choices. But I think for me, that was like a huge thing as an entertainer to be able to present this stuff, to pre- present this beautiful story, this beautifully written story, and to have this moment where it's like, hopefully the parents who are reading it and um, the uh, kiddos who are reading it, it's one of my like most viewed um, YouTube videos, um, which I think is really telling, um, is just like how much can we learn from this story, whether or not our kids are um, on the gender spectrum or, or you know, in the LGBTQ community. Parenting is parenting. And I feel like that's the thing is we should normalize all this stuff. Um now this year I've been like in my pod that I've been doing, we do Smash the Patriarchy Wednesday. Um we had like <laughs> Black History Week. We're gonna do um uh, AAPI week. We have a kiddo whose um, mother is um, a Pacific Islander and um, when the lady whose house we do it at she's um she works for immigrant or immigrant rights action group and um she's like she's out there getting stuff done you know she's really working and like doing legislation just making things happen for people who really need the help and these kids are seeing this every day they're learning new things every day you know i'm teaching them about like strong amazing women and like you were saying earlier connor about um the uh, new thor movie that it's like we have this conversation it's three boys and two girls and the three boys. I'm like, does it make you any less of a boy to learn about strong women? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's right. Does it make you better to like learn about more people? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's really Um, I feel like it's a little bit of a rant that I'm going on. I feel like, um, (laughs) for me, it's really important to, you know, I've seen it in action. I've seen how important it is that kids are ready for it. Kids don't care. You know, kids are just like, this is a great story. They're just like, this person is being hurt. I took, um, so my boyfriend lives down in Texas and, um, He travels a lot, so we see each other a lot. Don't worry about it. But (laughs) I was down there last summer um, with my kiddo, and it was um, Brianna Taylor's birthday. And um, he lives in Denton, Texas. So it's a fair—it's a college town. It's fairly liberal, and um, his kids were like, "We're going to go to a rally." And so we took them to this rally, and it was powerful. There were people who were speaking about their own experiences with racism. There were people who were reading Breonna Taylor's tweets. um, And, you know, we're talking about a kid who's seven and a kid who's nine. And this is really their first foray into activism, you know, and it's like we had made posters and it's like walking away from that. There are just like what's the problem with Black Lives Matter? Why doesn't everyone believe this? You know, it's like, why is this something that not everybody is like jumping up and down to support that kids get it? They get it. And that's one of the things I love working for kids with, you know, at that age is that it's all boiled down simplicity. You know, it's just like, they can deal with like the big problems and the big concepts that we're all struggling with, that grownups are struggling with, and they boil it down. And they're just like, this is right. And this is wrong. This is compassion. And this is bullying. That's it. You know? So I feel like that ironically, even though I don't have like the traditional, like mayor um, resume, (laughs) that that simple thing of being able to boil down a point and just be like, what's bullying and what's compassion, you know, what's, empathy and what is, you know, just standing in a way just to be, to be difficult, you know? And I think that, um, that's what I would like to bring to this job. Um, and just, um, the other thing is just like being able to be an inspiration for kids who are going to be able to, you know, move forward, um, and to do really important things that they can be like that person who I know is a mayor, (laughs) that person who I know just did this thing. And that, um, you know, even if I don't win, I hope I win. But if I don't, that it's like, they can still be like this person over here tried to do this and made a difference that it's like, kids need to know that it's like, it's possible to make a difference that you don't have to have the traditional resume in order to make a change.
1: So. Yeah, and and I, I, that's why I, I, I was struggling a little bit on how to phrase the question on but for both of you, because neither of you are K through 12 teachers, but you are educators in your own right. And, you know, obviously, um, it's important on both ends. And I, <laughs> I, I'm getting free story time from both of you guys because <laughs> so I'm learning two new stories. But um, let's see. We could just go, I have um, one question that I I will leave off with, and I ask um, some of my favorite guests. Um, (laughs) If you could suggest one book or one thing for somebody to read, or it doesn't have to be a full book, or it could be a video, it could be a documentary, it could be something that... Or even if I want to keep it open, someone you can learn, and they would fully digest everything that you want, and they would be able to understand it all. What would it be? And I know that's that is a a hard question to answer on the spot because I did not tell you that. Um, but while you guys think, I can I can I can filibuster. But it's to me that question means a lot because it can tell you about someone's experiences and, and it can, t- it can tell you where you learned from. I mean, I have, I have books that, you know, if I could just hand to somebody and be like, this is it, it would mean they like our world would be more empathetic. It would be more understanding. It would be equitable. It would be, I mean, there's, there's a lot to, to go into there, but, um, uh, Tabitha, we haven't heard from you in a while. So, <laughs> and that's, that's totally cool too, by the way, this is what podcasting is for. It's for ranting. Usually I talk to myself for an hour. So it's, it's nice to have, to have, uh, you both here to, to counteract my, uh, my, uh, lunacy.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, this is hard, right? Cause there is no, there's really no, there's no one thing. There's right. no, there's no magic pill. Right. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two things, and then when we hang out, uh, I'm gonna perseverate over like, oh, I should have said this right. <laughs> I'm sure I will. This is good. Like I'm gonna think about this all week. But um, so one is there was a, a professor I had at the University of Pennsylvania named Howard Stevenson. He is a psychologist. He works in social emotional learning, in particular. He has a TED talk um where he shares stories really about his own parenting and conversations he's had with his son um, that really relate to the work. And in particular, um, the struggles that boys have and, and black boys in particular, but but boys in general. And it's interesting because the, the idea of like, you know, threats to masculinity have come up a little bit in this conversation. So I would say um, anything Howard Stevenson does is, is magic, but but a TED Talk super accessible. Um, see, I'm already, st- now I'm starting to Think of other things as um, I'm because podcasts and you know, okay, so it's hard.
1: I know it's hard.
4: I I asked this question
1: and I don't even really have an answer myself, but
4: yeah, so, so, all right, so that, so I, so TED Talk, Howard Stevenson, mm, okay, there's two, there's two more, but there's, you can give me,
1: you can give me everything, everything you want. I, I all will right, not say, you, all right. I'm not going to really you, limit you, but, uh, <laughs> no,
4: I'm not, I'm not going to give you everything. I'm not going to give you everything, but okay. So we'll say Howard Stevenson's Ted talk. Um, there are a few, uh, podcasts and one in particular, I want to say it's through, it might be at this American life. And the episode is called the problem we all live with. And in that episode, the problem we all live with, um, There's a reporter who outlines how in the 1970s, which is when I was little uh, we the the achievement gap between black and white kids was closing now remember what I said earlier 1970 is where the multicultural ed push started in the 1970s we were doing things in schools that were much more about equitable practices and multicultural ed and the gap was was closing and then Ronald Reagan and yeah. <laughs> some different philosophies and boom now we're, we're it's okay so that's uh, and 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 there's a there's a a current day example of integration and, and how that works. So, so the problem we all live with, and then a, there's a fictional book, um, but it's kind of like historical fiction. It totally changed me. So it's a book called Homegoing. I want to say that the author is Yagyasi, like Y-A-A and then G-Y-A-S-I. I listened to it as an audio book because I, pre-COVID, I have a, do a, a lot of commuting and I thought, I like, this is a book that it were like, I thought I understood stuff. And then I listened slash read this book. And I'm like, oh, this book helped me understand why anybody would ever argue for reparations. And now I get it. And now I support it. Right. But I, and I thought, I think before I listened to this book, I would have said I supported it, but I didn't feel it. Like I knew I was supposed to say that, but I didn't really get it. Well, what this book does, like I said, it's fiction, but it starts on the African continent with people like, you know, indigenous people on the continent, their lives, and then the Dutch settlers get there and then slavery starts. And basically what it follows is a lineage of a family from pre-colonization to present day U.S., and it's like oh wait a minute like i just saw the dots connect this author was brilliant it it literally like it changed me i i recommend it all the time
1: well i guess i'm going to have uh have to pick one of those up at the local bookstore <laughs> um lolly your chance to go
5: okay um so I feel like if anybody out there has not seen um, <laughs> uh, "I'm Not Your Negro," um, that they, they need to go watch it right now um, because James Baldwin, I think, is um, he changed my life. You know, I mean, it's yes, you got it. Um, I think that just he's one of the most elegant people I've ever seen. Um, he's so he's elegant and eloquent, um, and also he's connected with all of these unbelievable people from history just the kind of like hearing his lived experiences and unfortunately hearing how little things have changed since then that it's the same conversation that's happening is so sobering and if it doesn't light a fire onto you and tell you that you need to get involved in the process right now then um you know i don't know what to say um a children's book author illustrator that i think everyone should start like getting obsessed with right now is christian robinson he's um oh i can't say enough about him but he's one of those people where it's like it's not over the top like you know anti-racist kind of stuff oh wait i just thought of another one tech nevit um, anyhow he's just wonderful. He's, um, queer. He's, um, uh, he grew up like his grandmother raised him. And so on mother's day last year, he made the sweetest post about like what mother's day means to him. And I just feel like he's just one of those wonderful people. And his illustrations do remind me of, um, uh, Ezra Jack Keats, um, just like that, like super wonderful, sweet, simple, um, wonderfulness, but he's, he's so good at when it comes to inclusion. Um, And um, I feel like everybody should just like go out and buy his entire collection. He's brilliant. Um, So yeah, definitely. Um, And also this is one that not very many people know, um, Anastasia Higginbottom. Um, She's she's definitely like super far left and I love her, but she has a book called, a children's book called, um, uh, oh, Death is Stupid and divorce is the worst, I think, which is really kind of interesting. Um, and uh, she just, she has one um, that's about white privilege and another one about uh, growing up queer as a kid. Um, so, I mean, it's like not very many people know about her and it's like, you kind of have to hunt down her books. So um, I know that's three, sorry. That's,
1: you guys <laughs> each gave me three, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> and and I, I will point out too, that I, I, I do kind of like those books where you have to go and like search a little bit. There's a little bit of the hunt in it and i think that's fun when i was in college at penn state i felt like i could have been radicalized to the far right had i had i been with the wrong crew uh let's just say um Mm -hmm. luckily i i wasn't and i i developed my own ideology ideology i mean solely almost by myself really and online Mm -hmm. but it makes me think of the radicalization of the Republican party, which we, kn- we know we were going to talk about it on some level.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And it kind of hits on the, we can talk about any of it, the infrastructure bill or the yeah. package, whatever you want to discuss on that mm-hmm. and voting rights, mm-hmm. which the Republicans seem to not believe in any. And yeah, the January 6th commission, which we, yeah. we originally wanted to talk about, I know, but frankly, I mean, I'll toss it to you after this, but the the January 6th commission is the biggest example of why bar- bipartisanship is not working right now, because the Republican Party is so radical uh-huh. that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi gave the Republicans everything they wanted to make a bipartisan commission. Uh-huh. And they still said no. Yeah. He still said no. We have Tucker Carlson talking about people uh in the FBI being plants in in the in on January 6 and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, we should look into it." It's like
7: we had a chance to look into it. Bozo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I I think you're 100% right. Um I kind of, you know, I I think things have changed drastically. I remember when I was um in high school, I um one of the first political jobs I had, I worked for, um, mayor Ron Strauss on his campaign. And, you know, I went and knocked doors and I remember like going and knocking doors in those Doylestown people were very nice. And they let me in and, you know, they'd be like, you know, you got this black kid with a funny name and we sit down and we chat, but you know, we would have a good conversation and I would leave and they would kind of be like, you know, like, I think we disagree on some things, but I, I definitely feel like there are some things you have in common. And I'd be like, thank you. And we leave. And, you know, I think that'd be, and it'd be a pretty good conversation. I think, both people, including me, felt like there was something gained, and I think now there's a huge disconnect happening because the media that and information that people are taking in has become so hyper partisan that they can't have those tough conversations. So I think it's then tracking to they're electing people that are kind of in that same way. I think you know if looking at someone like Majorie Taylor Green and thinking how the hell did someone like that get elected? The only way that someone like that gets elected is because the people in their community think that they're the best solution to the problems that um, they believe they're facing. Um, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, it goes back to kind of the, I think there's a lot of radicalization happening um, in a lot of communities. And, you know, as a, I guess as a press secretary and some of that works in communications, I'm, I'm Slated to believe that that it's coming from media, it's coming from media, and I think it's really forcing people um, to really take on a lot of radical views and, uh, and elect uh, radical politicians.
1: Yeah, I mean, some people would call me a radical. Some people may call you a radical. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it's not my my issue with that term, that phrase, or whatever that word comes down to the false equivalence of radical when you compare mm-hmm. a radical on the left what am i a radical for i want health care for everybody mm-hmm. what are we radical for we want to uh, provide a green a green uh uh planet for tomorrow for the yeah. uh, for the next generations um mm-hmm. versus when you talk about marjorie taylor green and and even goes beyond her because it's seeped into the mainstream of the republican party i mean pat toomey used to be one of the most conservative senators that you could possibly like you know 10 years ago Mm -hmm. most conservative one of the most conservative senators and now people are looking at him like he is a moderate in the senate and it's just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mind-blowing that someone like that is viewed as a moderate today so the overton window is so shifted uh i mean it's frankly just not it's like being torn from the middle yeah Unfortunately, and I'll, I'll I'll see what you think, because you, you've seen it from the inside is I think that the Democratic Party is lagging behind in reacting to the ever radicalizing far right. And mm-hmm. I think that the party is reluctant to say that we cannot work with those people because they are nuts. They are. I mean, not I always clarify this and saying, like, not all Republican voters, not all of the elected officials, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of the elected officials are nuts And they mm-hmm. believe in crazy shit Yeah um, And we can win over some of the voters But that party is unfixable to me mm-hmm. No,
7: yeah I um, I definitely, I think, you know um, I definitely saw in Congress um, Especially after January 6th A lot of Democratic members I think then, I think still now are very, very hesitant to work with members of the Republican Party. It's just because of the kind of laissez faire attitude that was shown about the tenets of our democracy being destroyed. Um, you know, and I think that Democrats um, have to think kind of about if they want to, you know, kind of fix all the problems that we're facing, if they want to get a lot of things done, you know, build a you know a better earth for future generations, they want to fix healthcare. They want to, you know, build an infrastructure package that's going to help create a, you know, safer earth. Um, you got to really think about, you know, um, are you going to sacrifice that um, to kind of work together? And you know, I think that is something that um, I think the Democratic Party is having those conversations now. Um, I think the result of those conversations, I think, is going to pan out in um, the bills that get passed. You know, I think the infrastructure package right now it's every single a watch it's kind of being you know it's kind of being back and forth it's one day i think you see you know there's a bipartisan agreement and the next day uh you got the like i think today a uh, press secretary of press the uh, white house said you know um, if it, um you know reconciliation so for people that know is that's essentially you know um if you can just get um uh, your party to vote on something you can pass it you don't need the usual 60 um majority um you know she was saying that that might be an option um, you know, I think I would encourage them to take that option, because at this point, I think there's clearly um, not a lot of wiggle room left. And I think there's not much agreement. Um, so, you know, I think on these really big issues that people support where, you know, you got 64 percent of Americans uh, want infrastructure package, 64 percent, 63 percent of Americans um, support, you know, gun control. And, you know, you got 50 percent of Americans say there needs to be some change in the tax code These are wildly popular ideas. You know, just saying you want to be bipartisan to not get them done, I think, is you're breaching an important contract you made with a lot of the people that elected them, which is, you know, to kind of protect them, help them and, you know, kind of, you know, and kind of bring relief to them.
1: A lot of this, we need to wrap in with the historical context of how we got here. I mean, you, you do bring it up uh, in the article where it's talking about Joseph McCarthy and you know, people hear that McCarthyism or McCarthy attack or whatever, um, and I don't know that a lot of people fully grasp where that comes from, but if you would kind of just give us a little background of it, and I, I'm i going to just insert here that remember the context of McCarthyism in canceling, if you want to call it that, the left, <laughs> So this this cancel culture, that uh, the idea that we've been talking about for the last couple of years particularly, uh, is not a new concept, but it's disproportionately affected leftism in the last 70 years due to the Red Scare and McCarthyism and all that stuff. So could you just give us a little bit of that history of like what the Red Scare is, what McCarthyism is? Sure.
6: I mean, this came out of like the Cold War, right? And the and the Red Scare initially started in like the mid-1940s. Um, and the idea is that, and, and again, you know, like then, what you're hearing now, the idea is that like there's been communist and Marxist infiltration, not only of our society, but of our institutions. And the plan is that it's trying to destroy America from within, right? Like this is what like, the school board candidates are saying this is what people were saying in the 1940s and 1950s. Right. So history is repeating. Ourselves. Yep. Now, Senator Joseph McCarthy, he, you know, he really just kind of um, he was he was a demagogue who was able to really just elevate um, this scare and hysteria and panic, um, giving his, given his role as a senator right um and that platform that that gave him and so you know he was just completely unhinged like he was accusing at one point he accused like the state department of having over like two 200 communists um infiltrated within it also accused the cia and the fbi um and you know this anti-communism um unfortunately you know it never really went away right even though the cold war ended um, you know, after the Berlin Wall fell and the, the Soviet Union um, dissolved and I think it was 91 completely, um, th- this never went away. But, you know, back to this time period, like, this kind of, like, anti-communism, um, you know, it's what kind of fueled the right, right? And especially the fringe and extreme right. And so you had like the KKK, you know, one of it, you know, anti-communism was a, a, a big engine in its Um, You know racist fascist politics. You also have groups like the John Birch Society, right? Um, Who actually thought that uh, President Eisenhower was a communist (laughs) agent, right? Yet yet these groups um you know, had clout, like the Birchers, you know, like when Barry Goldwater, you know, was running for uh, president, you know, he refused to completely disavow, repudiate and disassociate himself with the John Birch Society because of the influence that this group, that this extreme kind of wing of the Republican Party had on the Republican electorate. And if you kind of like bring that to today's um know to the situation that we're in today there's a we're dealing with a similar situation where you have the kind of like the QAnon, you know big lie wing of the party that again like no republicans outside of a few right you could probably count them on one hand um that are willing to say no this is insane this is crazy um you know, we, we can't be perpetuating this stuff because, you know, it not only is it a danger to their party, but, you know, it's a danger to the country.
1: Do, would you say um, that the like the, you know, we, we were talking about uh, McCarthyism and we're talking about uh, uh, that anti-communism effect. Would you say that 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 is losing favor in the right in that uh, communism doesn't that word? Because again, when they're attacking people for being communists, they attacked me for being communist in 2019, um, and I'm not one. So it's like, do you feel like they they're just trying to fit these new labels onto something and be like, all right, well, let's see if this sticks. Like, Marxist is more of like a an insult to them now than communist, even though again, it's like you're talking about different strains, or whatever. And it's just, uh, and then like the same thing with like critical race theory. Do you feel like that? That is like the new, just like all right, just all encompassing slap on that slur, and just and it's not necessarily is actually a slur, but you know what I mean. Sure.
6: Yeah. I mean, they're using it in
1: a you know pejorative. yeah pejorative way. So
6: yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I do think it, it, it's effective, like within their own circles, um, you know, because it's something that's just repeated like over and over and over again, whether you're on um, Fox, listening to Fox News, um, listening to the
0: Don Giordano
6: show, or talk Radio 860, the conservative voice, they just keep hammering this home. And like Marxism, communism, and, and like critical race theory, and we'll talk about this more like, you know, this is the, like the new kind of like catch-all kind of neo-McCarthyite smear, like, You know, the the thing about like this anti-critical race theory hysteria is just that like facts and, you know, truth and history don't matter. So, you know, they don't care about that. Like, you know, people were calling like Obama a socialist and a Marxist. (laughs) Liberals are like socialist communists and Marxists. Any kind of like social democratic reform is like communism, Marxism, and this kind of like uh, existential threat to the country.
1: What's kind of funny about it is is that they're not social libertarians. They're not uh, libertarians economically. Not that I I definitely do not agree with uh, economic libertarians. But they, I mean, fascism has a part of it where it is, you know, government controlling certain aspects of just, say, the economy or, um, you know, controlling certain groups of people. So they're not libertarians in any way. Um, So it's ironic. When they're talking about like oh like you just want to do this 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 it's it's a lot of projection it seems um, maybe not in the same way they're not saying like uh, what uh, you know it's they're not outwardly saying you should it's okay to be like you're hating somebody because of their skin color although it's kind of hinted at um, and like when they talk about critical race theory uh, it's never. Like they say that they're trying to indoctrinate kids into saying that they hate uh, themselves for being white or for being male. That's the other thing. Like they, they this attack on masculinity. Um, but none of I mean none of it's true, and it seems to be like a lot of just like insecurity and uh, yeah. I mean most of it's just probably insecurity and just falsehoods just to get people elected, which I guess leads us into a little bit more of like the the actual. Quotes that you're pulling from from these interviews in this in this article, Um, specifically the one that stood out to me was about the. I mean, they all kind of stand out, but the one about the transgender students um, saying that you know I'll read the quote. So please, (laughs) I am not saying this um for anybody listening but the quote just says i absolutely defend your right to be anything that you want i really really do because this is america i mean identify as an elephant and then you're you're quoting them as as there was laughter you know on this interview uh on the radio um i i don't even know like how, what to even like ask in a follow-up to that but like do you feel like um these social issues of like transgenderism uh, you know, just being accepting of gay people in this country, like that these are still the, the cudgel issues that they're trying to make them like, they're trying to divide us based on like being pro LGBTQ, which like, fine. Like I'm okay with being on the, on the right side of history, but do you feel like that's going to be like the the stomping ground of these radical right wingers?
6: Yeah, I I think it's part of it. I mean, first, you know, I I think like a lot of this is just like a racist backlash to this kind of like new civil rights movement that we've seen, um, you know, pop up and flourish under the Black Lives Matter movement uh, in opposition to like the militarization of our police um, and the impunity that the police enjoy when they kill unarmed black, um, you know, men and women, right? And so like, you know, this what we're seeing happen now is just kind of like what happened during the civil rights movement. Right. And so like the civil rights movement was a part of a communist plot to to divide us and cause racial strife um, in order to, again, like quote unquote, destroy the country from within, Um, you know, with regards to the, uh, the quote about like transgender students, you know, they, they initially were talking about like the bath of, You know, bathrooms, um, the bathroom issue. Right. And then we got to that. And, you know, it was just disgusting. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, you know, because like other people might feel uncomfortable doing it. But, you know, a lot of their attitudes are racist and they're bigoted right and that's it and you know for me i think you need to call it out for what it is like i get why people might be uncomfortable especially if like you're running for office and like these people are your neighbors um and you know they're part of your community but at some point you have to say enough like this is unacceptable and we can agree to disagree but we shouldn't kind of like allow people to conflate that with some kind of concession that all opinions are created equally because they're not. And some are wrong. And like I said, some are racist, and some are bigoted. So they know that like, you know, these, these keeping kids in school pack candidates, um, like Cora Landis, um, and Ricky Chakin and the rest of them, um, you know, they're going to keep kind of like hammering these issues. And, you know, I would, I would, um, you know, recommend that everyone Um, If you're really interested in this to hear, you know, because I could have written more, right? But I have like word limits in my article. There was a lot more that they said, but like, you know, these candidates, these Penridge School Board candidates, um, as well as uh, Cora Landis from um, Palisades. Um, at different times, they went on Talk 860, the conservative voice, right? Um, which is hosted by Don Bachel Jr. and Joanne Sapressi. And even what they were saying was disgusting. Like, uh, Don Baishel Jr. said, you know, was making a quote unquote joke, right? Saying, oh, you know what BLM stands for? The Burn Loop Movement, right? Um, and then, like, Joanne Sapressi uh, was saying that in, in regards to, like, Critical race theory being taught in school, which again is not being taught in K through 12 schools, um, that they're churning out little racists. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's just it, it, it's really disturbing. Um, you know, I wish I didn't have to listen, to, I wish I could get those two hours of my life back of listening to those those interviews, but it was important for me to do, because, you know, th- this is where you're going to hear them when, when they're at their most comfortable, right? You know, in their own kind of like media spheres, um, and then w- where they're really going to be speaking off the cuff. <laughs>